0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. All right. Twelve of you are doing good. Well, hopefully the Word of God will minister to you, and by the time we live, everybody will be able to say, "I'm doing awesome. This is great." Well, I, man, I, I love having uh, Pastor Brad Doherty on on, uh, on campus. Um, uh, you know He led worship here for uh, several years, and I forget sometimes how good he is. It's, we have so many talented people. I told this at the 8 o'clock service. There's probably uh, half a dozen people or so on our staff that could actually lead worship and preach and do all of it well. And just so you know, I, I'm not one of them. <laughs> I'm not one of that half dozen. I'm not one. I could not sing. It's a blessing to you all that I don't try. But we are blessed here at New Beginnings Baptist Church to have people that are gifted by God uh, uh, to advance His kingdom, and I'm grateful for that uh, uh, this morning. Uh, If you don't know me, my name's Ben Lofton. I have the privilege of serving on staff as one of the pastors here at New Beginnings Baptist Church. And uh, I'm excited that you're here this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up about this sermon series that we're in right now. We're continuing... Uh, through uh, the book of Philippians, if you're a first-time guest with us, I want to say a special welcome to you We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning If uh, you didn't have a chance to stop by the welcome tent, make sure that you swing by there We've got a gift for you. We'd also love to have a, uh, a record of your welcome But like I said uh, today that we're going to uh, continue in our study of the book of Philippians We've been in Philippians now for a couple of months And uh, this is the third sermon series we've had and this one is called Together We and this week's sermon series is called Together We Submit. Last week was Together We Stand. Today is uh, Together We Submit. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, yay, he's gonna talk about submission. It's my favorite topic, right? That's what all y'all are thinking, right? No, that's not, because here's what I know about us, is the minute we mention submitting to anything, anywhere, for any reason, there is a thing that happens in us that wants to push back against this idea of submitting. We just bristle at it. We don't like it. I don't like it. You don't like it. My kids, they don't like it. Nobody likes it. And depending on what stage of life you're in, you get less fond of submission the older you get, I think. Less fond. Like, I'm, I'm sort of in the middle there. I'll be 50 this year. I don't like submitting to anybody. But my mama called yesterday, and the minute I heard her voice, I went, yep, I'll I, I submit to her. My kids, right, they are called to submit to me. They don't do it all the time. But... They do, you know, so as we grow, we learn in this idea of submission as part of who we are as people. I think uh, one of the best uh, pictures of voluntary submission really that we have in our world today is the military. You think about the military, you go through basic training, you come in, you get a rank and there's always someone ranked above you. And there's this organizational hierarchy that exists and you are to submit to the person that is next in line above you. They do this by saluting, they follow orders. It's very regimented. There is a chain of command and you stick to that chain of command no matter what, no matter what room you're in, the person with the higher rank is the one that you submit in. But you also know that the commander in chief, the president of the United States, he's the one that has the highest order In the military, right? So they all submit to him. Even the highest four star general submits to the commander in chief. Whether or not they believe in him politically, whether or not they care about him personally, they submit to uh, the commander in chief. And for us, the church, God's people, we are called to submit to Jesus. Jesus, in a very real way, uh, the commander in chief of the church. You know, the word church uh, in your English Bible is translated from from a word, "ecclesia," And this is a Greek word, and literally translated, it means the called out ones. So we as the church, we are the called out people of God called to live in submission to Jesus Christ as we seek to fulfill the mission that he has given his church. We are literally called to submit to Christ. That is our job. That is what we do. So, as we talk about submission and submitting to Jesus, the question that we have to ask is why? Why should I submit to Jesus? It's a good question, right? I think that we should all ask questions. My children submit to me because I am their parent. I'm the one given to them by God to submit to. That's why. But there's a question to ask. Why do we submit to Jesus? So if you have your copy of God's word, go ahead and grab it. We are going to turn to, uh, like I said, the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 2. And today we're going to talk through verses 9 through 11. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bible with you or your device, uh, uh, this passage will be on the screen behind me. And when you get there... We're going to say the Bible is true. So when you're there, we say what? That's right. Man, you guys sounded great. I love that. That is one of the values that we hold most dear here at New Beginnings Baptist Church. We believe that the Bible is true. And here is what the word of God says. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if you've been in church for more than five minutes, you know that when we see the word therefore in a passage of scripture, what do we do? We look backwards to see what it's there for. Okay? So when it says, therefore, that means there's something that came before it that impacts what is about to be said. So last week, uh, Jeff Manning, we had the privilege of sitting under his teaching and he taught through uh, Philippians verses one through eight, chapter two, verses one through eight. And what we see specifically in verses five through eight is we see Paul beginning to paint this picture of who Jesus is. And specifically in verses five through eight, he's talking about the humanity of Jesus. He talks about Jesus emptying himself of his uh, divinity. He talks about him humbling himself and becoming a servant, becoming like you and like me, okay? So this is what we see, this picture of the humanity of Jesus. And then we get to verse 8 and we see the humiliation of Jesus as he willingly sins, allows himself to be taken to the cross and crucified for the sin of mankind. And then we arrive at verses 9, 10, and 11, and Paul begins to paint the second half of that picture, which is the picture of the deity of Christ, the divinity of of the Lord Jesus and we have to have both sides of this picture because what we know of Jesus is Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. This view of Christ is important for us. We have to believe that Jesus was 100% God, right? In order for him to be able to do what he said he could do, he has to be God. But he also has to be 100% man for the sacrifice to be made that would reconcile us back to God. This view of Christ is important because how we see Jesus shapes everything about who we are. And it's why we are willingly able to submit to the rule of Jesus Christ because of our view of him. It, the view of Jesus that we have as believers impacts how we love one another, how we care for the world, how we interact with one another as believers, how we husband and wife, how we interact with one another, how we parent our children. Everything about us is different and changed based on how we view the person of Jesus. It is the lens, if you're a believer, by which you view the world. And in verses 9 through 11, I think there are three things that Paul tells us about the the person of Jesus that I want us to look at today. And it's going to shape how we view Jesus and, therefore, how we submit to him. And the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus rules and Jesus reigns over everything. Jesus rules and reigns over everything. So look at verse 9. The very first part of verse 9 says, therefore, talk talked about therefore, right? Chapter 8, therefore. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Because of Jesus' humiliation, remember, Jesus, God, humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. The lowest, most humiliating death. The criminal's death. But because of that humiliation, God has exalted him. He has taken him from the lowest possible point and given him the position of the highest possible order. The word exaltation, when we're talking about a person, means that they are placed at a high or powerful level or they are held at the highest regard. Jesus has been highly exalted. Um, We live in a culture of exaltation. If you didn't know it, we live in a culture of exaltation. If you look at just uh, how we talk about athletes, we look at athletes, we, we exalt professional athletes specifically, and even sometimes college, above everyone else because of the skill that they have. We exalt actors. There are entire hours and hours long television shows of actors exalting other actors because of a movie they made or an award that they won. Even the way that we operate within our our given profession, we can seek to exalt ourselves and move up and be made much of and be made more uh, than others. We live in a culture that says it's okay to exalt yourself or other things above it. And what God's word says is God's word says that God has highly exalted Jesus. The words highly exalted in the Greek, it's a fun word to say, okay? It's hooper oopsu. If you wanna practice it later, just say it. You know, you'll giggle in the car. It's fun to say, hooper oopsu. And what that means is it means to exalt above all others or to raise to the highest position. Jesus has been super elevated, super exalted, right? The word hooper is actually where we get our prefix hyper, hyper exaltation. Jesus has been exalted over everything that has ever been exalted ever in the history of time. Jesus holds a position that is higher than that. And because God has exalted him, we can know that Jesus rules and Jesus reigns over Everything. We even see this in, uh, in, in, in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus says this, I glorified you on earth, talking about the Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He accomplished his job. He went to the cross. He defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus glorified God by going to the cross, by bearing the sin and shame of humanity, defeating death in the grave. And after Jesus told us, this is what I did, this was the mission you gave me, Godfather, I did it, I achieved it. He gives us a window into what's going to happen. He says, now restore me to the position of exaltation that I once held. Keep in mind that this exalting of Jesus is not new. This is a restoration of who Jesus was from the beginning of time. This is is Jesus' right position. He rightly rules. He rightly reigns. It's a position that he has held since time began. In Philippians, Paul writes to the church and says, this has been done. He rules and he reigns. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus. He has restored him to his position Abraham Kuyper says this there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, Mine. Think about that. All of creation, everything. Everything that has ever been, everything that is, and everything that will ever be exists under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. There is not one molecule that exists. There is not one orbit of one planet. There is not one star. There is not one bit of dust in all of creation over which Jesus Christ doesn't say, I rule and I reign over that because God has highly exalted him. Scientists will tell you that the universe is continuing to expand. It is getting larger and larger and larger. And this is just a side note here. Think about that. If God spoke the world into existence, his words were so powerful that even to this day, it continues to grow and expand outward. But every millimeter it expands, Jesus rules over that that which did not exist a moment ago and does now, Jesus still claims that he rules and reigns over that because God the Father has highly exalted him. He's given him the position to rule and reign over everything, everything. We love to think, I think sometimes, that Jesus rules over my life. Well, he does, it's true. Or that Jesus rules over the United States. We get very patriotic about it. Well, that's true or that he rules over the planet Earth. That's that's also true. But it's only true in the scope of things that he rules over everything. There's not one thing that is outside of his rule. There's not one thing that happens. There's not one word that is spoken. There is nothing in all of existence that is outside the rule and reign of Jesus. And he reigns over everything because, and you heard Pastor Matt talk about this during our time of prayer, because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The second part of verse 9, we talked about him saying that he was highly exalted, but it also says that the Father has bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. And This word uh, bestowed uh, uh, really carries the the meaning of uh, highly shown favor to show favor to or to give freely. So when you read it, you can read the verse that says, therefore God has highly exalted him and shown favor on him by giving him the name that is above every name. You know, names are important. Names are important. If, you are, if any of you that know me or have had any time to talk with me, if you talk to my children, they will tell you that I put a high value on protecting the name that was given to me by my father. My last name is Lofton. My children's names are lofted and I tell them all the time that you need to remember certain things when you leave my house. And one of those things is who you are. Don't act in such a way outside of here that's gonna shame the name that I was given by my father. My father taught me that and his father taught him that. Names are important. But there is a name that is above every other name and that name is the name that was given to Jesus. Now here's what I would tell you. Jesus was the name that he was given when he was born on earth. It was a very common name. During the time that he lived, Yeshua, it's Joshua, right? It's Jesus. There's not a lot of them now. I mean, you'd have to be pretty, to name your kid Jesus right now. It'd be pretty confident in, in that child to name that. But back then, Jesus was a very common name. So the name that's above every other name is not Jesus. So what is it? Well, we look at verses 10 and 11. And it says, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The name that was given to Jesus is Lord. That's the name that was bestowed on him by God. Kyrios in the Greek, Kyrios means Lord. That's what's translated in our Bibles. But if you translate it from the Hebrew, it's the name Yahweh. Yahweh, it's the covenant name of God. This is the most sacred name that the people of God would have had for him. It is what he called himself. God gave Jesus the name Yahweh. It's the name we see in Isaiah 42, eight, when God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I give my glory to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. In Isaiah 45, 5, he says, I am the Lord and there is no other beside me. There is no other God. This is God talking to the prophet Isaiah about himself. I am the Lord. That, Lord, that word is translated Kyrios or Yahweh in the Hebrew. The Covenant name of God. This is a name that the, people, that the Hebrew people wouldn't have spoken The spelling of it, the way it's written, we're unsure about exactly, but it's a word that was basically put in there as a a name that we used to use that, but they wouldn't have spoken that name. It was the the most holy of names for God, and this is the name that was bestowed on the 100% God, 100% man, person of Jesus Christ. If you're following along with us in our reading plan for the summer, this week you got to read through Exodus 3. And Exodus 3 tells the story of Moses going up on to the mountain and seeing, talking to the burning bush and God gives him the, the command to go to his people and, and, and Moses asks him, who do I say has sent me? And God says, you tell them I am sent you. That name I am is Yahweh. That's the translation, that's the Hebrew. It is the very first existence of, the, of God giving himself the covenant name to his covenant people, and this is the name that he has bestowed upon Jesus, the name that is above every name. It's not a name, it is the name. Jesus is only an important name to us because it's connected to Lord. The name Jesus is just his name. It's his given name, but we exist to serve that name, to glorify that name, to worship that name because God gave him the name Lord. If you look at Matthew 28, the, uh, probably one of the most famous verses of all the Bible, it's called the Great Commission. In verse 18, we see this sort of picture painted out. And he says this, 28, 18 says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, right? Jesus rules and he reigns on heaven and on earth. Over everything, right? So all authority in heaven and on earth. So Jesus rules and he reigns over everything. And Jesus said, it's been given to me. That name has been bestowed on Jesus. The authority Jesus has comes because God highly exalted him and and he bestowed on him that name. The covenant name of God, Lord, Yahweh. That's the reason Jesus is is in the position that he is. That's the reason Jesus has the authority. But because Jesus rules, because he has the name, the third thing we see is that all creation will worship Jesus. All of creation will worship Jesus. All of it. The totality of, the created, of God's created order will at some point will worship Jesus. Let's look again at verses nine through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In this uh, last verse 11, Paul is actually quoting uh, um, God's description of himself to the prophet Isaiah. In in Isaiah 45, 23, uh, uh, God said this, By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. So when Paul writes at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, he is quoting God's statement about himself. And because Jesus has been given the name Yahweh, that's why he can say that. Because of Jesus' humility and sacrifice on behalf of sinful and broken creation, God gave him the exalted position to reign and rule over everything. And because of that, at, at, at some point, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Heaven, earth, under the earth. When we talk about under the earth, we're not talking about in the dirt. Every created order, every evil spirit, every demon, Satan himself, will bow and will confess Jesus is Lord. Everything, every angel, everything. All of creation will worship the exalted son, Jesus, Yahweh, the Lord. It doesn't say that some are gonna bow. It doesn't say that most are gonna bow. It doesn't say that if you believe in God, you're gonna bow. It says at some point, everybody will bow. All of creation, there's not one person that's ever lived, is living, or will live that will escape the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ rules and reigns over everything, and he is Lord, and because of that, you will bow. I think one of the best representations of this truth we have in scripture is in the book of Revelation. This is God's revelation to the apostle John, right? And in Revelation 5, he paints a, quite a clear picture of what it will be like when we stand in the presence of Jesus. And in 5:13 through14, just listen to what it says. It says, "And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea and all." That is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Every creature, everywhere, every link, all worshiping to the lamb, glory and honor and might. This is what will be said. All of creation will be in voluntary submission to the Lord Jesus. And here's the thing. That voluntary submission is not going to be based on any previous relationship you might or might not have had. Christopher Hitchens is a very famous uh, atheist. He spent much of his life having debates with Christian apologists about the existence of a God. Not just a Christian God, but a God. And here's what I will tell you. In that moment, when Jesus Christ breaks through the clouds to come back and make all things new again, Christopher Hitchens, who is absolutely 1,000% sure there is not a God, will bow his knee and will confess, that is the Lord. You will not be able to escape that moment. Whether you confess him as Lord now and you receive his coming with joy and excitement and happiness. Or you confess him as Lord on the day that he returns and you receive his coming with fear and despair and anguish. Either way, you will confess him as Lord. We don't get to not it's because it's who he is. It's because Jesus has been called Lord by God. It is his rightful position. And because of that, all of creation bows in submission to him. This, uh, this view of Christ is one of, it's really one of power and beauty and majesty. If you, if you belong to Jesus, this elicits a very beautiful picture in your mind. This picture of Jesus as Lord and bowing and confessing. And if you don't belong to him, this should, if it doesn't, elicit fear. Not a fear that would scare you into doing something you don't want to do, but a, a right awe and fear of the Lord that the Bible talks about because of G- who Jesus is. But for us today, remember that th- this book is written to believers. This, this letter was written to the church. The book of Philippians is written for us. And we cannot believe that Jesus rules and reigns over everything and that Jesus is Lord and that we will one day all of creation will worship him without that affecting the way we live our life right now. If we believe those things to be true and we say those things and we worship and we bow and we confess, then that has to shape how we live our lives right now. And I want to spend the remainder of our few moments together talking through... Um, three ways that I think this understanding binds us together as a church. Remember the name of the sermon series is Together We. So we got to talk about what the truth of God's word, how it impacts us together as God's people. And the first thing that I want you to see is that as the church we have a common confession. We have a common confession. We confessed it this morning through worship. We confessed it when Pastor Matt stood up here and made the statement, Jesus is Lord. I heard you say, Jesus is Lord. That is the common confession of the church of Jesus Christ. It is the banner under which we gather today. Jesus is Lord. It's the earliest confession of the, of, of the church. One commentary that I read said, the phrase Jesus Christ is Lord is probably the earliest Christian confession and it is shorthand for the gospel. When you say Jesus is Lord, it means you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. You believe he emptied himself and humbled himself to become a man, that he lived a life that was perfect, that he gave that life up on the cross, that he went to the grave, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven and one day he will come back. All of that exists in that one common confession, Jesus is Lord. This is true for all people, but for the people of God, it is, should be joyfully and expectantly true. Jesus is Lord. You know, it's the confession that binds us together as God's people. I have traveled to other continents to visit with the people of God. And we may not speak the same language and we may not believe the same things or eat the same things or wear the same clothes or act the same way, but if they belong to God and I belong to God and I look at them and I say, Jesus is Lord, they're gonna reply, Amen, Jesus is Lord. And we are bound by that confession. Every time I've seen the church get out of pocket or lose focus on the mission or get out of kilter with one another over whatever thing it is, it's all because we've exalted other things over the common confession of God's church that Jesus is Lord. This is the confession. Now look, for, for the Philippians, this would have been an interesting thing. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony existed in the Roman Empire, was filled with Roman citizens, and during this time, Rome, the Romans uh, practiced emperor worship. This wasn't unusual in ancient cultures, but what that meant was is they worshiped the emperor as if he were God. So they would have known to call the emperor Caesar Lord. He would have been, for a Roman citizen, the highest order of person. They would have exalted him to that position. And Paul is preaching a message that says, Jesus is Lord. He is making a very clear Contrast between the culture of Christianity and the culture that the Romans existed in. And I would tell you that today, that very same thing is true. We live in a culture of exaltation that tells you you should exalt yourself and everything else in the world over this. And God's word says, Jesus is Lord. His position is above everything else. And we unite together as God's people under this very common confession we have with. One another. The other thing we have is we have a clear mission. We have a clear mission. You know, uh, my father uh, would tell me all the time, you know, if you don't have, if you're not aiming at something, you're going to hit it every time, right? If you aim at nothing, Ben, you're going to hit it every time. I have found that to be true many, many times in my life where you just aimlessly sort of go through life with no goal in mind, no mission, no aim, no nothing. I always get that done. I excel at getting nothing done. Excel. I'm a, I'm varsity level professional, but in order to achieve any goal, there's got to be a clarity of the mission. If you talk to a coach, uh, football, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, there's a reason they teach the things they teach. There is a goal in mind. If there's a military uh, exercise or there's a, there, there's a goal in mind. There is a, a mission. There's something that we're chasing after. And for God's church, we have a clear mission as the people of God, we are called in living in submission to Lord Jesus. Our mission is to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, that's our mission. It is clear. Remember in Matthew 28, all authority, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, heaven and earth, Therefore, go and make disciples. So we say, therefore. What's it, therefore? Jesus said, I have the authority to tell you this. I have all the authority. And the thing I'm gonna tell you to do is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Right after Jesus told them, I have all the authority, I rule and I reign, Jesus God has given me the name to carry this authority. Here's the mission. Go make disciples. Go speak the name of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Go exalt the exalted one, Yahweh, the Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, when anybody comes to my office and they sit down and they go, Pastor Ben, uh, I don't know what God wants me to do. It's one of the easiest questions as a pastor I get to answer. Okay, great. Let's go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says he's got the authority. Jesus says God gave it to him, and Jesus says go make disciples. Now, how that works itself out in your life for everybody in this room is gonna be different. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a, a, a doctor, whether you're a, a construction worker, whether you uh, a landscape, whatever you do, whether you work in the home, uh, whatever that is, where that is, What you do in there is for the mission of advancing the gospel and making the name of Jesus known, if you're a believer. We have a common confession, and we have a clear mission. And since that command was given by the risen Christ, to his followers and following The falling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the mission has been crystal clear since then. Advance the kingdom, preach the gospel until Jesus Christ takes you home or he returns. That is your mission. So, if anybody in here walked in here unclear about what God wants you to do, let me be crystal clear. Preach the gospel. That's it. Preach the gospel. And that brings me to really my final point, and that's this, that as believers, remember, we're talking to the church, as believers, we have a coming exaltation. We we have a coming exaltation, and this is the part where I wanna talk about the joy that we get to walk in as those that follow Christ. Jesus was the suffering servant. He humbled himself, emptied himself, became a man, lived a, a, a sinless life, and then he willingly went to the cross. When we're talking about the gospel, this is important. Jesus wasn't made to go to the cross, he willingly went. And he died a criminal's death, beaten, mocked, spit on, humiliated, suffered all the way for the sake of you and I. We don't like to think about the idea of suffering for the sake of Christ, do we? We don't don't like to embrace the idea that God's word tells us that if we're going to follow, to be a Christ follower is to follow Christ's path. And if you look at Christ's path on earth, it is fraught with suffering. I can't say that I'm following Jesus if I've never given up anything for the sake of his name. I can only follow where someone else has gone. Jesus went to the cross. It is written all throughout God's word. If you've read the New Testament, you've read about the suffering of God's people. There's no way to escape it. But look at how scripture is written when he talks about suffering. In Romans 8:18, 8, he says this, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed with us. We may suffer, but there's a coming glory that we're going to get to experience that sustains us in the times of difficulty as we follow Jesus. Pastor, uh, Matt Chandler, I was listening to a sermon. It's been a while back, and he made the statement. He goes, you know, it's really difficult to preach the sermon, hey, come follow Jesus. It might end badly. Nobody wants to hear that. We don't want to hear that. There's only one problem. It's this book. Why do you think the men and women of this book were able to endure the things that they were able to endure because they knew what you and I need to know today, that regardless of what happens on this earth, there is a coming exaltation. Second Corinthians 417, one of my favorite verses in all of God's word says this, for this light and momentary affliction, think about that, he has taught, Paul is writing about the trials and sufferings of this life and he calls them light and momentary afflictions. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I can suffer. My suffering is light and it is momentary. Why? Because there's a coming exaltation. There's going to be a moment where I get to stand in the presence of Yahweh, of Jesus, my Lord. And that is the the foundation that we stand on that that allows us to endure anything this world has to throw at us. It is the the place that we put our hope. It is the thing that we look forward to. As believers, we are most certainly looking forward to something, but more importantly than that, we are looking forward to someone. And that someone is Jesus because he's coming back and I get to be with him. If I get to suffer, okay. If there's hardship, that's all right. Whatever you call me to, God, I can walk through. Why? Because there's a coming exaltation. I know you rule and you reign, Jesus. I know that you are Lord. I know that I bow and confess that truth. As the ecclesia, the called out ones, we live in this world expectantly looking to the coming exaltation. Think about that. Second Timothy two eleven and 12 says, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him and if we endure we will also reign with him think about that this world is hard but guess what if I live with if if I have died with Christ then there will be a day where I get to live with him With every difficulty that you brought in here with you today, with every hardship, with every trial, I don't need to know what it is to be able to tell you that if you endure with Christ, you will reign with him. We we do not suffer needlessly. We do not struggle for the name of Christ without purpose and without a hope that exists in the fact that one day we get to stand beside him. Together we submit. Together we confess. Together we suffer. We suffer well. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And one day he's gonna come and get me. Right? On the hardest days of my life, I can can acknowledge the fact that God's gonna come get me. That's my gift. Not the blessings of this world, not the cars and the houses and the monies and the stuff. None of that stuff matters, guys. If you're a believer here today, your prize is the fact you get Jesus. But for us, we have to believe. We have to believe that Jesus is Lord. We've got to live in such a way that the world knows that Jesus is Lord. We have to stand on the bedrock of that common confession. We have to be laser focused on the mission that we have been given. And we trust and we hope and we long for the moment that we receive the coming exaltation. As a, if you're a believer in here today, you should long for the moment you get to see Jesus. We wrestle, we, we push back against that. Just a little bit longer, God. Just a little bit more, Jesus. Not yet. I'm going to tell you right now, forget that. You come get me. Right? I want to see the Lord. So whatever today has to bring, whatever tomorrow has to throw at us, here's what I know. Jesus is Lord and there is a coming exaltation. So what what do we do with that today, Pastor Ben? What what does that mean? Well, I, I, I will speak to two different parts of this room. If you're in here today and you do not know Jesus as Lord, if you're you're not a member of the church that has the common confession Jesus is Lord, I want you to hear me say again that there will come a time where you will confess Jesus as Lord. And the, and the, the, the cry of my heart for you is that you will do that now rather than then. Because now comes with forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. But then, then comes with anguish and despair and fear and a lifetime of separation from the thing that you now know to be true, that Jesus is Lord. Think about that. It's not only that in the end days we'll get to confess Jesus is Lord, but those that are apart from him will have to confess that knowing all the while that they're gonna spend eternity apart from it. I don't say these things to scare you in anything. I say these things as the truth of God's word and the gospel that calls you home that says that may be the truth, but you don't have to submit to that. You can confess, Romans 10 says you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Beyond that moment, you can have not one more ounce or inch of fear about what might or might not happen. No more uncertainty about who he may or may not be. You can walk with joy and gladness into anything this life has to have, because now you belong to the one who has created everything, who is called Lord. So if you're apart from Him today, He is here waiting for you. Whatever it is that you think might be keeping you from Him, I wanna remind you of something. Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, died for the very worst version of you. So whatever bad you think you've done, He died for that. And today you can be forgiven for all of it and walk out of your change forever. For those of us that belong to God, we've got to wrestle with the idea of what it truly looks like to submit to Jesus. To really stand under the weight of what it means that Jesus is Lord. Far too often I know in my life I say the name of Jesus flippantly. I don't allow the weight of him being the creator of the universe, Yahweh, to be on my tongue when I say his name. I use it as some sort of Christian business card rather than the thing that it is, which is the confession of the people of God that says, we submit to you, Lord. So the question you gotta ask is, am I submitting? Can I walk in the weight of that confession? Am I pursuing the mission of God because I believe with every ounce and fiber of my being that he is Lord? And if not, then that's the work that you have to do today is to go before your king and confess your lack of willingness or desire, whatever it is to submit and beg him to give you a heart that wants to fall down in front of him and worship and confess him as Lord and go out into the world and do what he's called us to do. Because it's the only way that we move forward as the people of God. There is no other thing, I can tell you that, I, this, this, this passage of scripture wrestled with me earlier in the week. I love to say sometimes I wrestled with it. That was not the case. I was not winning the wrestle match. It wrestled with me and it reminded me that my view of God, my view of Jesus is everything as a believer. That I have to see him as Lord. Together we submit. So I'm gonna pray, and when I'm done, we're gonna worship, and there's gonna be some people up front here that would love to talk with you. If you don't know Jesus, maybe today is the day that all that changes, that you leave here a different person than you walked in. If you're the people of God, if you need prayer, if you're walking through something, if you're battling something, we would love to pray with you. If you just need to come down here and get down and, and, and go before the king and tell him that you wanna submit that he would remind you of his goodness and love, and we're gonna be here for that. Father God, we love you so much. I'm so grateful for today, Lord. I'm grateful for the opportunity we've had to be here today, God. But most importantly, I'm grateful for, as your church, our common confession that you are Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice you made on our behalf, Lord. But as importantly, God, thank you that you are exalted. That your name is above every name and as your people today Lord we bow in worship and we confess that truth Lord if there's anyone in this place far from you God I pray that in this moment right now your Holy Spirit would meet them where they are and radically change their lives Lord allow them to walk out of here without fear changed forever and for your people God do whatever work that you have to do in their hearts God I love you I'm grateful for Your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, who I call, Lord. And I pray all of these things in his mighty and beautiful name. Amen.